This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on this continuing seminar on cultural competence and human sexuality, if you will. Today we're going to be talking about dominant and submissive relationships and something called female-led relationships, and that's a slight twist on a dominant-sub relationship. I am Dr. Donnelly Snipes, and I will be hosting this presentation. Obligatory trigger warning, the following presentation involves frank discussions of kink and sexuality. While not graphic, some of the content might be triggering for some people. This series is meant to provide an overview to help clinicians understand kink, BDSM, and polyamory, but is by no means all-inclusive. It's designed to increase awareness of common issues and help clinicians identify areas where they may need further training. In this hour, we're going to explore different structures of dominant submissive relationships, including the mastiff slave relationship, which can be a total power exchange, the daddy, mommy, and little relationship, and the female led relationships. We'll identify reasons for engaging in this type of behavior, and we're going to end with, again, reviewing some more of those signs of abuse because most, if not everybody that is in class today, is a mandated reporter. So, obviously, that is something that is of paramount importance and interest to most of us. Dominant submissive slaves or submissive relationships and master slave relationships relationships are about a hierarchy they are about structure protocol and respect a lot of new people when they come into the lifestyle don't understand the dynamics and they think it's just you know sort of a free-for-all and that's not it at all it is very military if you will in its presentation so the first structure we're going to talk about and I encourage you if you've got any questions or comments you can add them in the chat room and I will try to answer them the first structure we're going to talk about is called the daddy dom and little so daddy obviously is the dominant in the relationship and the little is the submissive and that can be any any person it doesn't have to be a boy or a girl or whatever it doesn't get too hung up on gender identification it's just whoever wants to be in that little role and the mommy is the same way for, obviously, a female dom in that type of relationship. 
Daddies and mommies take on a parental role as the dominant. Now, before you start like climbing the walls like, like a cat, we're not talking about any sort of pedophilia or any sort of desire to engage actually engage sexually with someone who is younger. We'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to put that up there first. The daddies and mommies are there to protect, guide, nurture, and love their little. They take on this um, caretaking role, if you will. They will order or set rules for their little based on nurturing goals and what is best for their little. Sometimes the little will have some goals that he or she wants to accomplish. Other times the daddy or mommy dom will identify some goals like education or weight loss or financial savings or whatever it is and they will set those goals for the little to improve the little it is not about satisfying just satisfying the the daddy or mommy's needs it's about helping improve the little in the relationship a daddy or mommy should enjoy the regression that their little naturally does and appreciate the childlike attributes of their little, but they will also find their adult side attractive. Littles typically tend to be people who are more um, gregarious and, and childlike in their presentation, and we all know some adults who tend to be more, more like that. You know, they may be 35 years old and they can go swing on a swing and just think it is the greatest thing in the world. They're not all caught up in the intensity and seriousness of being an adult. Some people who have that personality tend to enjoy being in that little role. Daddies and mommies are not interested in pedophilia, incest, or any other paraphernalia associated with children, even though their title is often misunderstood and associated with that. Daddies and mommies are almost like coaches, if you will, if you want to put it in that framework. There are some differences between the daddy-mommy relationship and the master-slave relationship. So we're going to talk about a couple of those. Daddies and mommies cherish their submissive's little side and encourage them to come out and play. So the daddies and mommies want that excited, childlike side to come out in in their little and, and encourage it where a master might be more serious daddies and mommies are strict about different things where a master may be strict about procedure and protocol do what i said follow the rules follow the contract daddies and mommies are more concerned with their submissive goals and needs so thinking about what if if you're a parent what you do as a parent in order to mold your child to become the best that they can be in a daddy mommy little relationship the daddy or mommy is doing just that they're trying to mold their little who may be you know 30 years old so the age is really the only difference in the, that dynamic in that part of the relationship however in and i'm just going to shorten it and say daddy little but when i say that you you understand i mean daddy or mommy and little um, when you have a daddy little relationship the, the daddy appreciates that side of their little that they can mold and enhance and help to grow and flourish but they also appreciate the adult side that comes out the side that has a sexuality to it so it's kind of like dealing with two different people if you will they're childlike in some ways but then when it comes to bedroom life they are in, in an adult role. They are not 
engaging in age play. They're not wearing diapers. They're not doing anything like that, unless that's what the two of them like in their kink. Most daddies and mommies avoid the terms daughter or son because that starts to feel weird. They want to keep it at little in order to differentiate between an actual parental relationship. Sex in a daddy-little relationship does not stem from an interest in incest or pedophilia. I know I've said it three times, but it is important because even people in the community tend to misunderstand the daddy-little relationship. So I want to make sure that everybody understands what the dom in this type of relationship embraces is the ability to nurture and mold their little into something amazing. Sex between a daddy and his little is just like sex between any people in a relationship as two consenting adults. Now, in that relationship, there may be a whole bunch of kink, and, and that's okay. It is not, again, revolving most of the time around any sort of age play. The daddy dom or mommy dom will provide emotional sanctuary and 100% trust. In these relationships, the daddy and little don't always live together. Sometimes it's a distance relationship. Sometimes they just live in different places. But the little can always call, call her daddy when she's having trouble, when she's struggling, when she's had a bad day, when she has a decision to make, whatever it is. Again, think about a normal parental relationship that you would hope to have. You would hope your child would feel free to call you 24-7, 365, anytime they had a problem or a struggle that they weren't sure that they could handle. Now, the next type of structure we're going to talk about is the master-slave structure. And those words can be very triggering for a lot of people. I don't like those words. They're, they're not triggering for me. I just don't like them, but that is my culture-bound association with those terms. In BDSM, master-slave or sexual slavery is a relationship in which one individual, the slave, serves another, the master, in an authority exchange structured relationship. Sometimes this can be a total power exchange. In master-slave relationships, it's not always sexual slavery. There can be a service component to it. It is much more practically oriented than the daddy-little type of relationship. Unlike dominant submissive structures found in BDSM, in which love is often the core value, service and obedience are often the core values in master-slave structures. So you've got your generic dom-submissive relationship over here that doesn't have uni particularly unique characteristics. Then you have the daddy-little, mommy-little relationship that we just talked about. That has its own unique characteristics. Master-slave is yet another structure that has its own unique characteristics. And in this case, we're talking about more service and obedience, just like you would think about if the, well, in this relationship, the slave is surrendering themselves as a piece of property. The relationship uses the term slave because of the association of the term with ownership rights of a master to the slave's body as property. Sex is not always a component of the master-slave relationship. It can be financial slavery. It can be doing household chores. Whatever the 
master wants of that person, whatever the slave brings as a commodity that they have to share may get them into this relationship. And just like the other relationships, there may be more than one slave. There may be more than one little. Each person in the relationship brings certain characteristics. The slave's limits are not set by the slave in a total power exchange dynamic. The slave has said, you set the limits. And this is where there is a fine line between BDSM and abuse. It is important. We will talk about some of the safeguards in a little bit. But it is important that the slave does know, and it is spelled out in their contract, when they can or that they can call off the relationship. Now, that may mean the, the relationship is completely over, but they have the ability to exit that relationship. Anyhow, the slave's li limits are not set by him or her and are whatever the master's desires. A slave's master has total control over everything, what they eat, who they see, what music they listen to, what they do as far as sexuality. A slave does not have hard or soft limits. Remember, we, we've been talking about hard and soft limits a lot over the past couple of classes for any of you who weren't there. Soft limits are things that people think about and they might be interested in exploring with the right partner at the right time once enough trust has developed and when, the blue, when you have a blue moon on Thursday. That's a soft limit. So there's a, I, I might eventually someday go there. A hard limit is a no, not interested, never crossing that line. No way, no how. In this particular dynamic, the slave doesn't have any of those. The slave does whatever the master wants the slave to do. And the slave often doesn't have safe words. Though the master is dominant and the slave is the submissive, the slave can withdraw submission at any time, which in turn would emasculate the dominance of the master. If the slave suddenly rears up and says, no, this doesn't work for me anymore, then the master can take that as a crushing blow. Male masters are called masters. Female masters can be called master or mistress. Just one of those little semantic things. It depends on what the person wants to be called. Service-oriented slaves refers to a relationship dynamic where the focus is on how the submissive can contribute resources to the dominant partner and provide for some of their needs or advance their goals. For example, if you have a master-slave dynamic going on, you may have one slave that is the in, in sexual slavery. You may have another slave that contributes by taking care of the house. You may have another slave that contributes by going to work and contributing finances to the master and the household. You may have another slave that is interested in helping the master further their career somehow. Whatever unique talents and commodities that that slave brings can be the service that they provide to the master. They do this willingly to make the master happy because they want to serve and, and, and revere the master. And the master accepts it because it's, you know, they are getting benefits from it, but they also enjoy being served and revered. These relationships may also include romantic feelings or sexual activity, depending on the specific relationship dynamic chosen. An expression of this relationship can be done through collaring. The submissive is collared to the dominant, indicating that they are in service to that dominant. 
So when you see a submissive who's wearing a collar, that may mean, and it doesn't have to be an audacious, you know, huge studded dog collar or something. It can be very tasteful in its, in its presentation, but that may indicate that they are collared to their master, which means they are doing what they're supposed to do and they are actively in service. It indicates their usefulness to the master. Some people choose pendants or other obvious, less obvious forms of representation. Think about this in vanilla relationships. When you were dating, especially back in high school, and you wore somebody's class ring, same sort of thing. I mean, not necessarily the service component, but the way you would wear it and be proud that you were wearing it because it showed that you were connected to that person. Collaring shows that the submissive is connected to the master, and it's a very genuine and sought-after place to be or thing to have. If in this relationship things changed or the person's usefulness in the relationship started to dissipate, or either party did not want to participate in the dynamic anymore, the couple may re remain romantically linked, but often the collar would be removed. So in a service-oriented relationship, sometimes the service isn't working anymore and that person says, this not going to do that anymore. They can choose to have a vanilla relationship. They can choose to redefine their sexual relationship, but they will not have that master-slave service relationship anymore. For the submissive, the collar is seen as a status symbol signifying the approval and acknowledgement of a person they wish to serve. For the dominant, the benefits are practical as well as emotional. Many take great pleasure in being served in this manner and have the additional resources available. Having the additional resources available is of immense utility. Think of maybe somebody who's an author who wants to have time to write and get out this masterpiece, Nobel winning prize, you know, whatever. That takes time. And even people that write novels like John Grisham and, and things, it takes a long time to write a novel. And when you're writing, you're not bringing in money. There's that period, unless you've got royalties from other books coming in, there's that period where you're writing and you're just praying that it's going to pay off in the end. So in that case, if the, the author was a dominant, then they may have submissives serving them that helped them get through financially, emotionally, you know, house chores, whatever, so they could focus on their book and get through and get it out and achieve that goal. In a total power exchange, total power exchanges can be short-term. They can be in a scene. They can be over a weekend. Or they can be 24-7, 365. It is important, vital, in a total power exchange because the slave has no say, has no hard limits, has no safe words. It's really important to get, get it written down. The TPE states the slave's role. It identifies when the slave can veto something, and there are veto clauses. I will try to pull this up while, we're, while I'm talking. It identifies the master's role. What is the master going to do in this relationship? What is their obligation? What punishments will exist if the slave doesn't adhere to the rules? What are the rules of punishment? What are the statements or rules about permanent bodily harm? 
and recognizing that in this type of relationship, since the slave is property of the master, it's the master's responsibility to protect that body from permanent harm. Think about somebody who has a brand new sports car. They're not going to try to go out and get it dinged up. They're going to want to keep it beautiful, and they're going to be waxing it and everything all the time. That's kind of what we're thinking about here. The master doesn't want to destroy the destroy his property that he is or he or she has invested so much time and energy into. There's a clause for talking about others. How do you relate to others? What happens? Can others come into this relationship? A clause for alteration of the contract and a clause for termination. Signatures involve the slave, the master, and a witness in order to make sure that it was entered into theoretically willingly. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not. Let's see. Pull this bad boy over here. In this example, in this contract, the slave's role, the slave agrees to submit completely to the master in all ways. There are no boundaries of place, time, or situation in which the slave may willfully refuse to obey the directive of the master without risking punishment, except in situations where the slave's veto applies. So I'll jump down to the slave's veto. The slave can invoke the veto where the command conflicts with existing laws, legal laws, where the command may cause damage to the slave's life, such as losing their job or causing family stress, where the command may cause permanent bodily harm or may cause psychological trauma. And they give the example in this particular contract of a rape scene for the slave. If the slave has been raped in the past, that could be traumatizing. So that is a place where the slave can actually enact the veto and say, oh, no, <laughs> not going there. Well, we said earlier that slaves don't have hard limits. There is a little bit of wiggle room there. If they have a hard limit because it's something that they find gross and distasteful or, you know, scary and they just don't want to do, that's one thing. If they have a hard limit because it will re-trigger or, or recapitulate a trauma, that's something else. The master's role is to accept the responsibility of the slave's body and worldly possessions to do as they see fit under the provisions determined in this contract. The master agrees to care for the slave, to arrange for the safety and well-being of the slave as long as they own the slave. The master also accepts the commitment to treat the slave properly, train the slave, punish the slave, love the slave, and use the slave as they see fit. So you can see if you're dealing with people who have good ego strength and are getting into this for the right reasons, that it can be fine. But you can also see where there are a lot of ambiguous definitions here. Tr treat the slave properly. What does that mean? What does that mean to the different people? In order to engage in this type of relationship, this total power exchange where you're just going... I'm your property, do with me what you wish. There has to be an immense amount of trust. Rules of punishment. The slave is subjected to certain rules designed to protect the slave from intentional abuse or permanent bodily harm. Punishment must not incur permanent bodily harm or the following. Blood may not be drawn at any time. You may not burn the body. There can't be drastic loss of circulation, such as in binding too tight. It can't cause internal bleeding, loss of consciousness. And you can't withhold any necessary materials, such as food, water, or sunlight, for extended periods of time. 
Now, some of you may be going, oh my gosh, you know, I wouldn't even think that those were lines you had to talk about. I was watching a show last night, uh, SEAL Team, and pretty good show. And they were going, the episode I was watching, they were going through advanced SEER training. It's the escape and evade training. And they go through some pretty horrific, torturous things there in order to prepare themselves to become SEALs, to go out on, on the battlefield. My point in bringing that up is even outside of this dynamic, there are people in the potentially in the quote van vanilla world who intentionally hand themselves over to be to experience these um, to have these experiences where they actually do have to separate and get into the flow separate from their body from their mind temporarily in order to endure whatever they're going through and then they come out feeling stronger and more empowered because they made it through such an intense situation. Anyhow, I digress. You can look at this contract online later. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But I did want you to see the fact that these contracts can be very legalistic, if you will. And in many cases, it's probably advised if people are going to engage in a power exchange that it the rules are laid out and they're clear. Even if they're just engaging in kink-related behaviors, it's still important to have that yes, no, maybe list laid out and what are my hard and soft limits. So each person knows what the other person's hard and soft limits are and they won't cross those hard limit boundaries and they will approach with caution and care and concern the soft limits. I don't want to push somebody over a soft limit if... The trust hasn't evolved yet. Think about that in counseling. We wouldn't have somebody come in and sit down in counseling and all of a sudden go, okay, I've never met you before. Hi, how you doing? My, na my name is. Why don't you tell me about the most traumatic experience of your life in as great a detail as possible? No. You know, that, that's damaging because there is no trust there. There is no rapport there yet. And that is pushing them. That's a soft limit. Eventually, they want to go there, but when they first meet you, not safe, not okay. So we're seeing a lot of parallels between real life and what happens in these types of relationships. Now, the final variation on the dom-sub relationship that we're going to talk about today are what are referred to as loving female-led relationships. These are different than femdom relationships. Femdom relationships are, tend to be very sexual. They tend to be very engaged in the kink aspect of the dom-sub relationship. And I'll talk about some differences as we go through this. Female-led relationships are a form of a dominant-sub relationship in which a woman takes the dominant role. It can be a relationship between two women. It can be a relationship between one woman and multiple people. The key in this relationship is theoretically the, the leader, the, the dominant, is a female. Now, does it always have to work this way? No, men could probably take on this role too, but this has evolved because a lot of females who were dominants wanted to rule or dominate in more nurturing ways than some or many 
of the male dominance. Female-led relationships are generally lifestyle relationships. They are 24-7. They're not just in the bedroom sort of thing. And they can take two forms. A relationship that revolves around controlling the sub and is generally dictated by the sexual pleasures of the sub. And that's the femdom relationship. So in a female-led relationship, if there's a femdom, then a lot of what happens is in order to serve the sexual pleasures of the sub. The second version is a relationship that revolves around empowering the woman. Subs who take to this lifestyle tend to fall in two diverse categories. Those who have always been submissive, and they like to be submissive, they like to be told what to do, and sometimes they like to be humiliated, punished, whatever. And then those who are alphas in the public vanilla world, but when they come home, they want to relinquish all that. They want to be submissive. They don't want to have to think about what to do and what they want to be told. They want structure and they want to fall in line, so to speak, so they don't have to be the one controlling everything and managing everything anymore. A female-led relationship is not dependent upon kink, BDSM, or a woman's ability to control a man. This is a voluntary, but all of them are voluntary. Women in female-led relationships are not superior to their subs and do not treat their subs as though they have no value. So this is different than the master-slave dynamic where there's a clear power differential. In the female-led relationship, the woman has the power. She is controlling the non-work life of the sub. However, she values and reveres the sub for what the sub brings to the relationships. Women in FLRs are not mandated to dominate subs sexually. They can if they want. They can if that's an agreed-upon thing, but that doesn't have to happen. Female-led relationships are not relationships where the subs' needs are ignored. In fact, women in FLRs honor the subs who are in devotion to their relationship. This is a sub who just desperately wants to be there and to serve. Women in FLRs respect subs for, for being who they are and their unyielding support. Men are often seeking a femdom relationship that is about her using her power to satisfy his desires to be dominated, humiliated, cuckolded, and punished. And that's the difference between the two relationships. And that can be some of the, one of the challenges that presents in counseling where they're in an FLR, but the, the man is in it and he's doing all these things for the woman, not because he wants to empower and support and nurture her, but because he wants to have his sexual desires met. It's a somewhat of a semantic difference, but it's important to look at what are the things that are motivating the sub to engage in this relationship? Is it about sexual domination and humiliation, or is it about revering and supporting their, their partner and turning over control to her in that relationship? FLR empowers the woman to identify her needs and wants, be able to explicitly state those needs and wants, and get those needs and wants met in El Enable to, yeah, enable to help her achieve her goals. So this is, think about the woman in this relationship as the boss. She comes in, she says, this is the company, this is what we've got to do, you are the employee, and you are vital to the success of this company. I don't think less of you, 
however i need you to do your job in order for me to be able to do what i need to do and in order for this company to be successful as i want it to be subs in flr relationships derive their satisfaction and pleasure from the fact that they were able to serve and please their dom in many flr relationships there may not be a sexual component at all it may be a service situation so why do people choose female-led relationships some subs feel it relieves pressure both in and out of the bedroom because they don't have to guess there it's just it's right there and that's true of any dom sub relationship especially because it requires so much communication in order to have that healthy power exchange whether it's in the scene or 24 7. some say that women are often more proactive at resolving problems calling a professional when needed so if there is a problem in the relationship a woman might be more quick to reach out to a marriage counselor than a male dom not necessarily however that was one of the things that was speculated mind reading expectations are eliminated in female-led relationships when the sub comes home from work and even when the subs at work the sub knows what's expected in this relationship so that they're, they're not having to guess about what to get for christmas about whether we're supposed to go out to dinner tonight about what to wear it's all done for him or her power struggles are eliminated because it's a dom sub relationship because there is a power dynamic because the sub in an flr has agreed to turn over control turn over the reins he's not going to try to or she is not going to try to grab those reins back most of the time when you read online about female-led relationships it is written from a heterosexual females point of view with a in a hetero, heterosexual relationship with a male being the sub like i said earlier it doesn't have to be that way it can be two women it can be any sort of dynamic it's just a 24 7 power exchange that's slightly different than the master master slave relationship in the flr relationship remember we talked earlier about how the master slave relationship is about obedience and service not about love in the flr relationship the relationship is about love just like any bdsm or dom sub relationship both partners into the, enter into the agreement willingly there are often contracts and negotiations and either partner can terminate the contract at any time you might be saying to yourself now why would one go through all the trouble and how do i know if my clients are in an, a female-led relationship or a dom sub relationship and what we're going to talk about are four levels and they were sp specified as levels of a female-led relationship but a lot of times they parallel pretty much any dom sub relationship that people are getting into as they start to embrace this lifestyle in level one one partner has hinted at or directly brought up the idea but the other partner is hesitant or ambivalent i don't know about that that sounds a, a little scary to me the sub begins taking one or on one or more tasks or chores and is permitted or expected to serve or pamper her in a variety of ways to serve or pamper the the female this is a gradual shift of the relationship where the female becomes more elevated on a pedestal if you will 
Women in level one FLRs aren't exactly comfortable with connecting to their dominant side, nor will they be able to congruently lead their submissive in any kind of direction beyond those which the submissive has given to her as examples. So in level one, the female is leading, but the female is also really not embracing it. She's sitting there going, I'm not sure about this. What exactly is it you, you want me to do? Where do you want me to control? And there's still a lot of negotiation going on here. The female wants to please the sub, and the sub wants to please the female. So that's good, which is why the negotiations generally continue until both partners start to feel more comfortable with this new power dynamic. In level two, the woman identifies some of the genuine benefits and is motivated to explore a bit. Like I said, you'll see this in typical dom-sub relationships as people have tried it out, they've explored it maybe for a weekend or something, and they've decided, okay, that might be something I could think about doing. And they start exploring a little bit. Once they try it out for a weekend, they see that it could be fun, it could be enjoyable, they're more motivated to explore a little bit more. In level two, the relationship is characterized more as an ongoing role play than total acceptance of the lifestyle. In level two, generally, it's still not a 24-7 total power exchange, but there is more role play outside of the bedroom. There is more role play in multiple areas of the life it starts to permeate it's not just about what are we going to watch on tv tonight it's about what are you eating what are you wearing etc women in this level of flr care deeply about their submissive but have their limits she may begin worrying about what will happen to the overall dynamic of the relationship and her feelings towards her sub if she explore, explores the path further with the submissive this is another time where women may come into counseling or people in a dom-sub relationship because they're not sure how it's going to alter the total relationship dynamic if they continue to pursue this and it becomes more of a 24-7 power dynamic. Or in other DS relationships, if they continue to pursue it and push more and more limits, they may start to feel a little uneasy about... Well, how's that going to work? If I'm always the sub, what's going to happen? Or if I'm always the dom in this relationship, how's that going to affect our public life? It is important for partners, couples, you know, however the relationship is structured, to discuss this. What do you see if we get into this type of relationship? What do you want it to look like a year from now or two years from now? What do you want our relationship to be like what do you how do you see it in the vanilla world are we going to be completely off when we are out in public or is there are there still going to be certain rules and power dynamics in public are there times when the power dynamics switch all of those things need to be discussed in level three the woman is enjoying being in control and has a deeper understanding of her subs desires she wants to help him be all that he can be, or she can be, sorry. And the sub wants to help the dom. As the dom begins to understand her sub's desires, it's easier for her to identify rewards and punishments. 
which is really good because that increases motivation. In level three, the Dom is taking more control over the five F's, is what we call them. Finances, feeding, fornication or sex, but that doesn't start with an F, so I had to come up with something. Free time and friends. So in a level four FLR, the female is really in, con in control of the sub, is giving an allowance. Think back to the 50s or 40s when women used to get an allowance and they didn't bring in money necessarily, or sometimes they did and they still only got an allowance. In any case, in this relationship, the female is in charge of the finances. She's in charge of what everybody eats and any dieting that may need to happen. She's in charge of when, where, how sex happens. She's in charge of free time. So if she's tired of her sub always doing XYZ on Saturday, she might say, nope, you're not doing that anymore. Now on Saturday, we're going antiquing or something. And friends. She has control over what friends the sub spends time with, how much time, etc. Higher levels of kink may also be entertained here. And when I say kink, I'm referring to kink in the bedroom. So the relationship is developing. It's becoming more intimate, cognitively more intimate, emotionally, and more trusting. So different levels of kink may be entertained at this point. In level four, the woman occupies a position of genuine and total power over her sub or subs. The subs are now a wi willing servants as opposed to playing a role. This is a lifestyle. They've embraced it, and they're happy to be there. The dynamic has fully permeated every aspect of their relationship, and the woman has full control over the big five. In a general dom-sub relationship, this only happens if it's a total power exchange, a TPE. Most dom-sub relationships are not TPEs, except for the daddy-dom-little and the master-slave relationship. So the three I went through today tend to be more lifestyle dom-sub relationships, whereas you can have a dom-sub relationship that is only part-time. And, and master-slave, I've read a lot of things about people who engage in the master-slave relationships just on the weekends or just when they go on vacation. So it is a total power exchange, but it's for a limited period of time. It's not a lifestyle. And that's cool, too. Whatever works for people. I would encourage you, if you're working with clients or if you have questions about dom-sub relationships, I would encourage you to explore online and read some of the blogs that are out there about master-slave relationships and sexual slavery. Those are hot-button issues and, and trigger words for a lot of people. So you understand a little bit more about what it is so it doesn't, it doesn't feel as scary or abusive as it probably initially does when you hear those terms. But let's talk about signs of abuse really quick. The dominant signs of abuse that we want to look for as clinicians, if the dominant refuses to let the submissive have a private conversation, especially with treatment staff or law enforcement. And a lot of these parallel what you would look at in domestic violence or, or child abuse. 
If the submissive seems withdrawn, reluctant, or afraid to talk in front of the dom, it's cause for concern. Generally, in the vanilla world and though the in the in the area in front of people who don't in, engage in BDSM or dom sub relationships, people don't maintain their personas. So if they're in the counselor's office or the doctor's office or wherever, and you're still seeing this extreme power dynamic, the submissive seems afraid, then you want to explore some more. Even if you know that there is a total power exchange, and when the submissive does something wrong, they know they're going to get punished. Many times the submissive kind of looks forward to that with a little bit of anticipation. Kind of like some people do things wrong in order to get attention or just to see what kind of buttons they can push because they enjoy pushing buttons. Sometimes submissives will do that. However, we don't want to see a submissive that truly looks afraid. Does the relationship dynamic erode the well-being of the sub or the dom or enhance it? If either part party seems to be having their well-being eroded, becoming antisocial, becoming withdrawn, becoming depressed, anxious, those are things that we really want to look at because healthy BDSM enhances people. It doesn't break them down. Does the sub look forward to interactions with the dom? There are always times in any relationship where you're really not looking forward to something. You know, maybe it's some kind of a talk that you've got to have or whatever. But 99.9999% of the time, we want the sub to look forward to interactions and seeing the dom. Is the dom's behavior uncontrollably violent? Does the dom punch walls, break things? things that you would normally see in domestic violence outside of scenes. If it's a 24-7 power exchange, then there needs to be a very clear demarcation of what's real life and what's part of the BDSM activities. Abusive episodes are out-of-control situations. In healthy BDSM, a dominant never acts spontaneously out of anger. And scenes are pre-planned with care. A dom will not get angry at their sub and say, okay, we're going to go upstairs and we're going to do a scene. That's not okay. It's not okay to get angry and say, I need to take my anger out. Doms are very controlled. They know how to vent their anger elsewhere so it doesn't inadvertently come out in the scene. Abusive situations usually end with negative emotions. A BDSM scene is designed to leave the participants feeling good and satisfied. Both parties need to feel good and satisfied after the scene is over. And we talked Tuesday about subdrop. Subdrop can occur when people get out of the flow and they are suddenly becoming a little bit more self-conscious. Just because they became self-conscious does not necessarily mean they're going to feel bad about the scene. If they receive proper aftercare, they may end up feeling just fine about what happened and okay as long as they receive the comfort and compassion and they know they're not going to be rejected by their dom after the scene is over. They receive that reassurance. A lot of times, most of the time, things are hunky-dory and both partners end up happy with the scene. The sub is generally empowered because they were they 
got through something, they pushed a limit and, and endured something that they didn't think they could, and they're proud of themselves. Does the sub feel he or she can leave the relationship at any time, or will they be will there be ramifications that are, are negative? Consent is the cornerstone of all BDSM activity, and it's one of the major factors that differentiates it from abuse. We need to know that both parties consented willingly and were of sound mind when they did so. Consent when somebody is totally under the influence or consent when somebody's under duress, that's not true consent. Same sorts of things apply when you're thinking about when people consent for treatment. If you would not consider it a valid consent, then it's probably not valid in BDSM either. Does your partner ever hit, choke, or otherwise physically hurt or restrain you outside of the scene? Are you confused about when a scene begins and when it ends? That's very important in most BDSM. The 24-7 total power exchanges, it's a little bit different because there is no begin and end to the power exchange, but there are scenes within the power exchange, there are going to be sexual scenes that they play out and there should still be a very clear beginning and end in order for the sub to feel safe has the dom ever violated the sub's limits or vice versa do you feel trapped in a specific role as either the dom or the sub does your partner consistently criticize your performance withhold sex as a means of control or ridicule you for the limits that you've set this can go either way whether both doms and subs can do these things, which makes me highlight again that subs are not passive, voiceless, non-interacting creatures in, in BDSM relationships. Subs have a lot of power, and some argue that they have more power than the dom actually does. The sub can be critical of the dom who tried really hard to make sure that the scene went as it was supposed to, and that can erode the self-esteem and self-confidence of the dom. Does your partner isolate you from friends, family, or groups? Does your relationship swing back and forth between a lot of emotional distance and being very, very close? This sort of borderline dynamic that I'm talking about is a sign that something's probably amiss. Again, in BDSM relationships, there is so much communication that we really shouldn't see great distance, and then great closeness. Does your partner use scenes to express or cover up anger and frustration? Total no-no. Do you feel that you can't discuss with your partner what is bothering you? And that can be with regard to BDSM, sexuality, kink, or anything. Things that we need to ask of clients who present as interested or engaging in BDSM relationships what interests you about dom-sub relationships? What do you know about them? And obviously, if you're working with somebody who's been in the lifestyle for a while, you'd skip this question. What needs or desires do you think will be fulfilled in this type of relationship? Do you want a bedroom power exchange or a lifestyle power exchange or something in between? And this gets people thinking about the different permutations of what they might have. If you got into a dom-sub relationship, what would it look like? Is your ideal deal dom controlling and task-oriented or nurturing and devoted? Is your ideal sub totally submissive in every way or more childlike in their presentation? And there are other characteristics. 
that you can use in order to prompt people if they need a little bit of help. I encourage people if they haven't got in, gotten into a dom-sub relationship yet or if they're just starting in, in the lifestyle to go on the forums, to go on the message boards, to read, 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 read about the different things that are out there because likely there is some sort of structure that works for them, but they may not really realize it exists yet. Dom-sub relationships can take many forms. They can be in the bedroom, on the weekend, or 24-7 total power exchanges. There are very significant differences between the different types of relationships which should be explored prior to entering into a contract. While we discuss the levels or relationships in relation to female-led relationships, those levels, those four levels we talked about, can apply to most dom-sub structures and can be a treatment issue when one or more partners is not at the same level. So if you have one partner that it's a level one, they're not sure, not really ready to embrace it, and you have another partner that's a level three that's all on board, there can be some friction and some negotiation that needs to happen so both partners feel like they're working towards a mutual goal. As noted in other presentations, long-term power exchanges should be undertaken with extreme caution, especially in people with a history of mental illness or any sort of cognitive problems that may leave them with, with not a lot of ego strength in which they suddenly get immersed in whatever role that they're in. Are there any other questions or any questions? If you're working with a, a couple or a woman, because it's written as female-led relationships, generally women, generally men kind of go, well, that, I'm not a female, so I'm not going to lead a relationship, but, uh, or at least I'm not going to fall into that category. When you're working with a woman who may be trying to explore some dynamics in her relationship and you think that a loving female-led relationship, and it's loving FLR, that's what you Google, would work for people, then you can encourage them to read about it and then decide, you know, how much control do they want? How much control do they want of the five Fs? And what are their goals? Could this relationship structure help them meet their goals? And if not, you know, that's cool. But when you're looking at some of these power exchange things, you start thinking about, well, if somebody were to get into a total power exchange, what types of things would they have to negotiate ahead of time? And generally, anything you come up with when you answer that question is something that couples should be talking about anyway, even if they're not in a 24-7 TPE. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you on Tuesday when we wrap up with um, polyamory. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.